0: We're already seeing on the handset side now about 70% of the market value is 5G enabled handsets. The traffic we're seeing already is quite high for a very limited 5G footprint. So people are using it. If they know they're using it or not, that's the other question.
1: The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain. Uh, With me today is Todd Selwyn, who's Head of Networks at Samsung New Zealand. Welcome along, Todd. Thanks, Paul. Good to be here. Yeah, great to catch up again. Now, maybe you can remind listeners where you fit into this big wide world of technology and telecommunications in New Zealand.
0: Sure. I'm uh, heading up the uh, Samsung 5G program here in New Zealand. We're currently building a 5G network with Spark. And uh, bringing the great new technology to all the people and kind folks of Auckland.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. Well, definitely looking forward to hearing a little bit more about that, that network side. Uh, but before we do, let's get into the, the tech news and the happenings of the, the week. Uh, and also, a big thank you to our show partners for, uh, for their support. So, a uh, big thank you to uh, Vodafone, Two Degrees, Spark, HP, Gorilla Technology, and Deal. Righty-ho, so um, first up, digital driver licences. It's been a little bit of media coverage around this. It's It's been discussed a little bit in the past, and you know, it's, I guess it's not just our driving licences. It's, you know, everything's sort of gone gone digital to, to a degree, um, you know, in one part of the world or, or another. Um, you know, we even see in... Um, I think it's a US where you can have your digital passport, so you can you know cross the border without actually a physical passport. But now that's uh, that's being considered for, for New Zealand from a, a driver licensing perspective. Seems from you know some perspectives, good idea because you yeah. don't have another thing to lose. And uh, I guess the in, in some ways, the more that you can do from your smartphone, the better until you lose it. Exactly or right. It's wiped yeah. or what have you. Oh, no, do you think it's, uh, it's it's too soon or are we we ready yeah, to start investigating this?
0: I'm a big supporter of it. I have been for a long time, um, especially with digital wallets and the like. But you also have to remember that not everybody has a smartphone and not everybody can afford a smartphone. So it creates a bit of a divide in society in terms of access when you're using technology to deliver that. Yeah, but I think I think it's fantastic. I mean, I pay for everything with my smartphone and we should have a driver's licence on a smartphone. It'll take away that fine, you know, for not having your licence when the police pull you over. But again, we have to balance that out with not everybody has access to these technologies. So how do you make sure it's fair for everyone?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. And, you know, I guess a, that, that potentially opens a sort of can of worms on that that broader sort of, you know, access to to technology discussion and... Probably got a few other things to delve into uh today, but it is something that we need to keep investigating looking at and and nudging nudging forward on in an appropriate way, yeah. don't we? Because And then
0: practically you think, you know, you're pulled over by the police. Oh my smartphone's flat. And <laughs> what happens then? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Charge it up in the cop car. <laughs> so there's some practical challenges. Yeah. Same with passports. They've always said, you know, if you go to Passports are a third world country where they don't have a digital passport scanning platform, you know, you can still use your paper passport today, but same problem really.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now Wi Fi. Wi Fi six, we've sorta of get got used to Wi Fi six being the, the thing over the last little while. But Wi Fi seven is on its way now. And, you know, we I guess we we do get used to things just, you know, on the, this continual Improvement when it comes to technology, and you're working with uh, you know, mobile networks and, and 5G. Uh, we know that sort of 6G on the mobile network front is kind of, you know, sitting there still, fortunately, a few, year, a few years out so that uh, we can uh, get, you know, 5G uh, in place and, and take advantage of it for, you know, hopefully best part of a decade before that needs to be uh, somewhat superseded with, with the next generation uh, but uh, yeah, Wi-Fi, as we head, head to Wi-Fi 7, the piece that I picked up on is that Intel and Broadcom, you know, two really key players as far as making, uh, making the, the wireless uh, chips as concerned, have demonstrated interoperability of their Wi-Fi 7 kit. And of course, yeah, there's usually a bit of a journey from, designing what that next generation will be like before yeah. it goes through a certification process, but certainly encouraging to uh, to see that we've got this, uh, this interoperability piece going. But in order to really take advantage of Wi-Fi 7, we need some extra spectrum available. In fact, it's the same with Wi-Fi 6E, which is the... What would you call 6E? Sort of the, the, the extension to the base sort of um, four, Wi-Fi like 6 4G plus, that, to that uses the 6 gigahertz uh, spectrum to be able to get some significant uh, you know, benefits from a, a speed perspective. So, yeah, it was interesting reading about Wi-Fi 7. What I noticed was that um, it's just been in the last few weeks, actually, that that extra spectrum has been opened up. Uh, In New Zealand, some of the 6 gigahertz spectrum predominantly for indoor use. So, yeah, bigger and better and faster Wi-Fi.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting space because you think about how fast these technologies moved and you mentioned it before. Very hard from a regulatory perspective to keep up with that. Um, Even digital microphones are now sitting in the middle of the 600 megahertz band where everybody wants to use that for 5G. Uh, So hard to manage that from a regulatory perspective. Now we're also integrating iwi aspects into spectrum and the technology is moving so fast that sometimes the regulation can be a bit slow to follow I think so it's good to see them being proactive in that space.
1: Yeah look it's a reasonable speed we're moving at in, in New Zealand I guess you know comparatively it does you know vary a lot when you look around the world in terms of where that, that spectrum's been uh, been been made available. Yeah, I mean, we from a wholly selfish viewpoint, we'd like it
0: to be faster um, and free up a lot more spectrums for the mobile network space. Um, but you're competing, obviously, with different resources and different um,
1: priorities of,
0: of different people, so that's a challenge.
1: Yeah, and and it's been interesting to see the the likes of uh, you know Starlink come into the into the market and. Uh, it seemed like a reasonably easy entry for uh, uh, for satellite players to um, be able to operate, and without too much uh, too much of a hassle in terms of uh, um, getting access to spectrum. Which I haven't really delved into the ins and ins and outs of that, but uh, yeah, it, you're it, right. it and you It does seem very very different to what you know our mobile networks uh, have to go go through and the uh, and the incredible level of investment to. Uh, to get access to uh spectrum there.
0: Yeah, you're right. The, um, you mentioned 6G, so already now we're seeing some of the industry start to standardise around what that spectrum might actually be because it uses so much bandwidth. that would be great to get that sort of locked down and agreed the 10 years in advance so we can start to free those spectrums up um, when it does become available. You know, you're sort of talking terabit, terabit speeds, so that would be impressive, but very bandwidth-hungry. But yeah, if that can get agreed globally as a standard, then it's gonna be a lot easier to implement.
1: Yeah, look, the situation where whereby different countries have you know slice and dice up spectrum quite differently has some pretty major implications from complexity and, and, and cost perspective mm. and so on. So
0: Yeah, and back to your um, modem perspective, you know, you wanna have a standard modem platform generally because it's easier and more cost effective for um, building devices. So if every country is different, it will drive the cost up in those countries.
1: Yep, yeah, and yeah, you know, I see. There's been a little bit of sort of, I guess, you know, push from the wireless internet service providers, who I guess in in, in one area are under are under pressure from sort of satellite broadband like Starlink, and then you know they they want to be able to provide you know better offerings to to their you know clientele, uh, which you know tends to be you know those in in rural locations where they maybe don't have any fiber access and and not good um, access to fixed wireless any sort of 4G 5G type uh, connectivity in a lot of cases but yeah they're pushing and saying hey if we're going to take advantage of this sort of 6 gigahertz we need we need a bigger a bigger chunk to make that uh, yeah, to make exactly that fly
0: right. and you, you New Zealand's quite unique in that perspective where you don't have national operators covering the whole country. And if you live somewhere – everybody knows someone who lives somewhere that has the worst internet ever and the worst connection and they've had to spend all this money to have relays and microwave and all this sort of stuff. So there's a definite place for it. Expensive and if you also start thinking around that creative industries and if we're trying to encourage technology, um, we really want those people to have the same sort of access as everybody else. So yeah, I think it's a challenge – we have as a nation to make sure we get the far reaches of the country covered off.
1: yeah, yep, and uh, yeah, I think we've we've done exceptionally well, but of course the needs are going to keep evolving and keep changing right, And so you know what was what was relevant a decade or so ago uh, isn't necessarily going to be relevant for you know for everyone at least um, another ten, twenty years out, yeah, exactly. Uh, so. It will need to it will need to keep evolving. Um, Interestingly, there does seem to be a, a you know an ongoing level of confusion out there in the in the market. And you know, before we started, you and I were, were chatting, and I mentioned you know, a couple of people that have been in touch recently, telling me that they needed uh, satellite internet connectivity. Um, you know, one of those cases uh, when I looked up the the address, uh, they actually had fibre available. Uh, it just she just needed to place an order. Uh, with the, a local well with their internet service provider and uh so yeah that was that was curious and then another one uh they didn't have fiber available um, but some really good fixed uh, fixed wireless um, options available that would be you know a, a fraction of the the price yeah. uh of getting a satellite connection and without the the signal having to you know uh, go on a little thousand uh or five hundred fifty kilometer journey up and then and then yeah. back down again. It's, so.
0: the, it's still the Netflix factor. People say right, so you know you, you think how ubiquitous Netflix is and and streaming. And that's really driving that bandwidth use. I was looking at some stats. I think in the US, you know, Netflix is responsible twenty percent of the bandwidth consumption in the US. So um, it's still a huge driver. And, and even five years ago, half a dozen people had Netflix. Now everybody has Netflix. You know so. It's so. Um, it's such a given that that utility—it's like water or power—you can't even have, have um, no internet, right? Yeah, I cancelled my
1: Netflix account this last week. Have you gone? <laughs> cut, um, cut the cord. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I'll be back, but uh, yeah, hadn't been watching much on Netflix. So, uh, and that's the thing. Now we've got so many of these services, but that video streaming—it's just—it's just an expectation yeah, that we all expect to be able to do, isn't
0: it? And the, the yeah. classic, classic test is tell people to look up how much data they've used in a month at home and people say, oh, 40, 50 gigs, so they probably use 300.
1: Yeah. So got no idea. Yeah, yeah. Just, you don't have to think about it anymore, do you? So. Exactly. Now, I saw the BBC had picked up on a story here in, in New Zealand around, uh, I think it was initially to do with uh, Snapchat, and I guess it was sort of, you know, virtual... Um, moku or Maori uh, face tattoos, and that seemed to have stirred up a bit of a bit of trouble online. Yeah, first first time I I'd, I'd seen something like this happening, but I guess this is a world we're in where it's sort of very easy at the drop of a hat for somebody to make a, a filter or some sort of add-on for one bit of software for for another another, and of course that has been one of the hallmarks of um, the way Snapchat has operated, and we, we see that with some of these other um, other platforms. So uh, it certainly seems to have uh, created a bit of upset there with taking something that's, you know, very, very precious to uh, to Māori and uh, just making a, a kind of a mass replicable uh, version. Culturally insensitive, but it does raise that question
0: around who, who, whose job is it to police that user-generated content is it the platform or is it the user or is it the, the actual social media crowd? So I think in that instance, I'm sure the person would have taken it down once they got some pretty bad feedback. So they come a little bit self-policing, but, yeah, culturally insensitive.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, it just highlights that we will we will have ongoing challenges with the, you know, ubiquitous access to technology and people are going to try out different things and sometimes they're, they're going to do something that's uh, – Seems fine to them, but once you look in a little bit further, yeah, there might be a little bit more or a lot more to it. So, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, on to, I guess, the big topics uh, globally. Apple had their big announcements around their their latest and greatest. Um, and, yeah, we've seen Queen Elizabeth II uh, pass away, a real you know end, end of an era. Um, so maybe we'll delve into... into into that aspect first and I guess what caught my attention was that there seemed to be lots of bits and pieces sort of popping up around some of the the firsts that the Queen was involved in from a a technological uh, standpoint and initially I'm scratching my head and thinking what really (laughs) the Queen like you know she was uh, she was 96 what uh you know what were these cutting edge things that uh, that she was involved in, and you know when you sort of start look looking into it, and she was born in 19, 1926. and so this last you know you look back roughly a hundred years. I mean her case is ninety six years. Yeah. Uh, the technological change that's actually taken place in you know in her lifetime. Now my father's a, a little bit younger than the. Than the Queen, but um, you know, born born in in the UK, and I remember talking to him about a little town that he he grew up in, a bit outside of uh, but outside of London, and telling me that they didn't have power when he was growing up, Crazy. and i just struggled to get my head around that. But as I was reading some of these other things, it, it was the 1930s in in the in the UK. Uh, where power started, you know, the, the new homes were connected to an electricity grid. So yeah, this this is is going to be, you know, maybe the most sort of extreme period in history in terms of, you know, technological innovation, because we've gone from no power to power and, <laughs> yeah. you know, a, a lot of people wouldn't have had phone lines and so on to, uh, you know, to, to where we are today. Yeah, a few of the The points, um, you know, I guess that where where she was uh, on the cutting edge um, at age fourteen in nineteen forty, she gave the first public speech that was via radio addressing children um, during World War Two. Nineteen fifty-three, then TV cameras were allowed into um, Westminster Abbey. Um, to cover uh, the Queen's uh, coronation. And apparently uh, that helped sort of fuel a big demand for, uh, for TV sets. The old wow. Early black and white CRT sets, I guess they would have been uh, back in those days. And half a million um, TVs were sold in the weeks um, leading up to, uh, to her coronation. Amazing. Um, so, yeah, and and there's a, there's a bunch more. We m- we might mention some of the other sort of more modern ones, but I guess w- what it highlighted to me is I started looking at some of these things as the role that influential figures, that uh, leaders, like royalty, and 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 others that are in a in a position of influence, um, you know, can have on society. So. You know, as the Queen did, you know, got involved in, uh, in different, you know, these different uh, things where, where she, uh, you know, made use of technology. Uh, You know, that actually helped spark the growth of technology, like we just heard about the, the TV set. So it's, it's pretty important, isn't it, that we, that we encourage use of technology in the right places, and that those in a position to influence, uh, you know, use that in a, in a. You know, an appropriate way.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're right. I think
1: they they saw it as a tool they could
0: use to help help spread the message. And and Charles has already been signed. Um, you see, where he's done accepting his. I don't know. I can't remember what it was called, but accepting it was the first time that it had ever been televised as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, they're they're, um, they're pushing it. And you know, the moon, the lunar landing was huge in the US. I remember for um, the, most people watching anything. Um, at one moment in time so yeah it goes both ways I guess you know there's good and bad for those things if it's the wrong person pushing the technology then that also usually leads to a big uptake and um, all publicity is good publicity right so yeah good to see you Queen I think you know she she's been acknowledged as very diligent and very dedicated to her Mm. cause so Mm. It's good to see that she was quite innovative and, and open-minded. When you think of those institutions, you always think they're quite backwards. Yeah. So it's yeah. cool to see that she was um, quite progressive in that instance. I think Charles is too with the environment and things he talks about. So,
1: yeah, um, good to see. Yeah, look, I, I think it's going to be an interesting time ahead. Yeah, some of the other uh, standouts, we should do her, her Christmas uh, message, Nineteen fifty-seven, sort of a live broadcast on on TV, and in nineteen seventy-six, sending an email uh, for the first wow. first, you know, well her her first email, I suppose. It's uh, what I read. It sounded like it was all pre-composed for her, and so on. But you know, that was that was pretty early on. You know, there wouldn't have been too many people able to send in emails. a position to send email. <laughs> so that was very much in uh, you know in the early days there. And yeah the list goes on you know I guess most most recently we've we've seen you know the Royals using you know zoom and video conferencing during the pandemic uh so it, it's sort of continued you know continued right th- you know through right throughout a life isn't it
0: yeah and they've obviously well versed in those technologies to script them in a way I know I know their website was immediately updated you know the, Straight after the family had been informed of the death and all that sort of stuff, quite scripted in the way they managed the process. Yeah, yeah. So they must have always done that, you would assume. But yeah, they—they, they, uh, you know—the big thing in the UK is getting the symbol, the the symbol of on your product. So I always remember, even in technology products, that was always quite prestigious. I think it was DAB radio that they used to listen to. That gave that a good. Kick in terms of sales, right? As well. Right.
1: Okay. Um, that so getting the royal
0: symbol on with a royal symbol on something, it's yeah. a big deal. Yeah. So even to this day, it's still a big deal. Hopefully, it keeps going on. It's a nice British tradition. It's a good thing for them to have.
1: Yeah. What can you share from your sort of you know recollections in the in the UK?
0: Yeah, as I, I mentioned before, I know Prince Philip used to have a technology briefing every year and we were showing him plasma tv at the time which he thought was fantastic so he had requested technology briefing not so much the queen i don't think but definitely prince philip so he was very interested in what was happening in terms of technology evolution Mm. i think he used to visit places like selfridges and harrods that always had technology areas as well to see to see what was new and what was exciting so um yeah it's nice that they keep up with those things as i said before you do think they're a bit sort of um, stayed I guess in their ways but obviously not
1: yeah yeah oh really uh really encouraging and um, there's a whole lot more I'm sure folks that are interested can sort of you know dive into and yeah we have a you know a whole new period ahead so uh you know very very curious how that how that plays out but Do you think Charles might start tweeting <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they, they've um, they converged the um, the accounts onto this royal family account. I think it was and the tw- the Queen's first tweet was twenty fourteen. I read, and I think the actually the the announcement of um, you know of Queen Elizabeth's death was probably first onto onto Twitter through that that royal family account. Right. So um, yeah, so I guess. Whether King Charles, as we now know him, will be uh, will be tweeting himself, I'm I'm not probably picking that would be uh, <laughs> that would be no. his thing. But uh, you know that's uh, that's something that gets gets delegated and, and goes through some sort of process before it come comes out of Twitter um, and filter. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, now, of course, the other big thing in in, in the last few days, um, Apple's announcements uh, that we we kind of get used to uh, happening at. Uh, at this this time of year, and there are a few things that um, jumped out at me. There's this uh, new dynamic island, which uh, I thought uh, you know very uh, very um, sort of typical of of Apple to uh, um, you know be able to brand brand this thing, which you know is sort of a, there's a there's a negative to the fact that you've got you know part of your part of your screen has to be blacked out for your cameras and so on. Um, but the way they've actually managed to turn that into a feature. I thought, uh, you know, quite quite uh, quite impressive. Um, but one thing it did, you know, immediately sort of highlight for me is this difference now between their Pro iPhones and the the normal iPhones of the, of of each generation, because this feature is only going to the you know the Pro devices. Right. And then the other thing that they've done is they've not actually brought you know brought through the new generation of, tri- of chip or of processor. Uh, into the standard iPhone so you're buying an iPhone 14 you know this year newly announced phone all very exciting but actually you're getting you're getting last year's product um, to to a large extent yes there's some there's some improvements but um, I thought that's a, a bit of a shock and to me it does feel like um, you know a very smart move from a a business perspective in terms of how do you how do you get more margin and and more profit, and of course we have been in a in a period of of inflation, so prices have been, um you know have been moving up in and lots of things generally not so much with technology, uh and uh, maybe there's a pressure there in terms of pleasing pleasing um you know those that hold Apple Apple stock, but to me it, it seemed like a, a reasonably sort of negative thing to the consumer. Um, you know, to to change change that, um, and maybe they've been thinking about it for years, and uh, they decided this was the the time to uh, to do it. But of course, being an older chip, you get a shorter lifespan for the for the product as as well in terms of likely product updates and so of, on. A lot of
0: memes I saw of people showing the same thing again. On did you see some of those? Yeah, like that guy get yeah. a shirt out, and he was already wearing the shirt. So, but hey, you know. You, yeah, inflation is is a real problem for everyone, and you've got to make yeah. sure you can ma- maintain a price point. I think you're right on the, the dynamic,
1: dynamic island yeah. Island, I think that is clever, very mm, clever.
0: Mm, um, mm. As you say, turning a negative into a positive and, yeah. and a feature, which is that's quite cool. And it's very Apple, esque.
1: Yeah, and and look, you know, we were talking last week around how Apple have have passed the fifty percent sort of threshold in terms of market share and in, in in the US market. Um, you know they're they're coming from a strong base and there's never a, a perfect time to have to make adjustments if you've decided that you need to as a as a business that's going to maybe you know leave customers uh, feeling uh, you know not not quite as as um, pleased with what you've done but um, we do see these things happen and yeah we'll be curious to see, whether there's much of a hit in terms of those iPhone uh, sales this year, or whether Apple kind of get what they would hope for, which is maybe a few more people stepping up to the uh, the Pro product. Yeah, exactly right. Um, so yeah, that, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to to see it play out. I see uh, there's been a bit of coverage around. Oh, the price hasn't gone up, et etc. Cetera, et cetera. Of course, reality is is that the the US dollar has increased in value against most currencies. So, of course, actually, you know, here in New Zealand, uh, you know, we've seen quite a reasonably steep increase in, uh, in, in the price, um, you know, prices across the board of the new products. And, you know, Apple does tend to keep their price the same generally throughout the life of a product uh, unless it has a very, very long life. Um, so that's, yeah. uh, that's something that will impact a few phones. Think of the
0: investment you're putting into a – have you got the watch and the phone? Versus the price of a very high end computer, not too long ago, it's about the same money. So.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that you know the the plus side now is that that phones, to a degree, well, that I think that you know people can keep them longer. You know, they've got a, a longer sort of useful life, in a, mm. in a lot of cases, it it does vary. It depends what your use cases are. And um, you're using it for everything, so you can warrant the expense. Yeah, well, it gets yeah it gets gets a, gets a lot. They get a lot of use. Um, now on to Onto what's happening here in, in New Zealand, Todd. Very keen to um, you know hear about what um, you know what's what's been going on with uh, Samsung Networks and what you've been doing with um, with Spark because that's really where you're working, isn't it? Because we you know we've that's got right. our, our three networks across New Zealand at, at, at this point. All three uh, are using uh, Nokia. Networks, and, but in Spark's case, they're also working with uh, with Samsung, which was you know pretty pretty big news when it was when it was announced. So kind of keen to you know understand a little bit of, of you know how that uh, how that's working and uh, you know yeah, what okay. have, what have been the interesting sort of learnings because your focus uh, with Spark is on the sort of metropolitan Auckland um, area, is that right?
0: Yeah, Spark are using our um, sort of higher capacity product in places like Auckland. So it can carry a lot more traffic. So that's what our product is, is suited to. That was sort of our point of difference, very much so at the start, when we started this journey in 2019. Yep. Um, a very slim slim and tall um, massive MIMO unit, which gives you multiple traffic in both directions, like a motorway
1: for 5G technology. So a lot of lanes for lots of, lots of communication yep, and, and of lanes fast, up. fast right. Yep. So we've used that
0: here in Auckland. We when we last talked, we'd just done it in Christchurch. COVID lockdowns and things slowed down the progress collectively, but um, now we're really ramping up with Spark, and um, we should have much much stronger five G penetration. It's interesting you talk about iPhone. We're already seeing on the handset side now. Um, you know, about seventy percent of the market value is five G enabled handsets, and. The traffic we're seeing already is quite high for every limited five G footprint. So, if they know they're using it or not, <laughs> that's the other question because your phone will just click straight over to. Um, but you know, you're getting ten times the sort of standard LTE speeds or four G speeds. Um, so, should people should notice the difference?
1: Yeah, I guess it, it comes down to comes down to what you're doing. So that that extra capacity, why is that important in an environment like Auckland?
0: Yeah, well, the faster you the faster you have traffic delivered, the faster you're off the network as well, so the next person can jump on it. So it means you get a lot less cell congestion on the sites um, and because you can carry more traffic, you can have products like fixed wireless broadband um, over 5G. Traditionally, if you had um, the, the Netflix effect of people all turning on their TV at the same time to stream and they're all using fixed wireless, you may have some capacity challenges. Um, but that diminishes with five G. Also, with five G, the four G is being upgraded at the same time. So, an interesting thing we were talking about last week was, you know, a lot of these um, programs, Spark have uh, called Skinny Jump, which is a broadband product for people who can't afford broadband. Yep. And yep. so, with five G now, they can move the normal traffic. From 4G to 5G, and free up more of that 4G space for these people to use these sorts of programs, which is which is nice too.
1: Right, right, and this this is giving giving those who maybe haven't traditionally afforded internet access, say, a product at a at a lower cost that um, that you know, gives them that access. Yeah, they give it for free up to a certain capacity of yeah, so you can do your homework and everything after school. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's awesome, um, and. Looking at how how things operate in, in New Zealand and the differences between say here we were talking about Japan before we started, you know, what are some of those sort of uniques in terms of underlying infrastructure and, you know, other other parts that kind of, you know, make a difference to the to the way these yeah, things the, fit together?
0: The, the big thing is the fiber backbone and the fiber network through the country. So, yeah, you know, we've had different governments upgrade the over the years. Um probably to the point where they think the job's done, but there's still a lot of work to do if you're talking about delivering to a cell site, so that could be in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Other countries do have a much more sophisticated fibre backbone, places like Japan, Korea, um, even their cell site coverage. New Zealand, we have around about 5,500 cell sites. You know, South Korea has, um, I think it's 750,000 cell sites, uh, and it's not the same geographic size as New Zealand. So. We tend to measure our coverage by population, Mm. whereas not by geography. So there's a lot of places where you can't actually get any coverage and very difficult to deliver fibre and power to those sites. You you talked about um, satellite connectivity. So if we did have a much stronger fibre backbone, then we could have emergency services and things on um, cellular networks, which we don't have today.
1: So, do you think that's something that's you know reasonably uh, achievable in New Zealand? Sort of noting our our geography and you know population and so on, it's just uh, no, another area, I guess, of investment, right? And it's and that's the that's the challenge, isn't it? Yeah, is it's going to have a where, tipping where the, point where the money yeah. needs to get spent. Either you prioritize
0: that over over something else, or you um, get it to a point where you, you know, that whole sort of central trunk of the country is totally covered. Which it, which it pretty much is today. Um, but, yeah, it's an interesting one because it's huge money, you think, to dig up the ground, lay down cables, and maybe a technology will come that can circumnavigate that. But, yeah, I think it's more so from a regulatory perspective, we need to look at things like spectrum to make sure that that's secure for the different technologies Right, the starting yep. position.
1: Yep, yep. Now, for Spark, who are working with Samsung and Nokia, and then you know we've got Vodafone and Two Degrees are just working with Nokia at the stages.
0: Two Degrees Ericsson, actually.
1: Ah, okay, yep. Um, so
0: we're unique. We've got all we've got uh, three vendors in the smallest country in the world, basically.
1: Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, it It's quite it's quite unusual. So how how does that compare with other markets that Samsung's working in? Because how long has Samsung had the the network business and, you know, what, is that, what does that look like
0: yeah. elsewhere? Our um, network business has really been growing since the 4G era. Mm. Uh, we did the world's largest 4G-only network reliance geo in India, which is Samsung Core, Samsung RAN. So um, that was a big stimulus for Samsung, but a lot of research in the 5G space. So when that transition came to 5G, we moved quite quickly into it before the standards were set. We worked with Verizon on a fixed wireless access pro, um, project in the US um, and now all three Korean operators that launched in 2019 a Samsung-based product. So that's sort of where the that's sort of the, the um, bread and butter of it. And then Japan, we work with quite a few of the operators in Japan as well. Back to the Queen, we're back in uh, Vodafone UK in Bath, the ancient royal town.
1: I've been to Bath. I've yes. been to Bath. It was the, the home of the... Original sort of hot pools or something, that's wasn't right. it? right,
0: Roman hot pools. Yeah, yeah. So we've done, um, working on an Open RAN program with Vodafone in the UK. And that, that's where you talk about moving from physical hardware to virtual hardware, so software platforms. And we're quite um, advanced in that, which is a virtualized environment. So we've also done that here. So you can have a lot more capacity, easier to manage, easier to upgrade, rather than having to physically change something at a cell site.
1: Right, and so is that the direction that the whole world goes as to this sort of open RAN technology?
0: Uh, it depends who you talk to. So I think you know, DISH is the is the is the poster boy for it, but DISH is a Greenfield's network solution. So very easy to say, oh, we're going to go open software-based platform, cloud, et cetera, when you have haven't invested hundreds of millions of dollars already in mm. compute, storage, those sorts of things. So... Um, I think the answer will be a hybrid, most likely, because you can't just scrap your existing infrastructure. Um, If you're a new operator, most likely you would. And it's the same sort of concept now when you think about cloud compute. If you're setting something up from scratch, you're probably going to use a Microsoft Azure, Amazon, AWS. You're not going to go buy a whole rack of servers and put them in the bottom of your building. Um, Same sort of analogy, I think, really.
1: So um, where does sort of Samsung where does your offering sort of fit on this? We can do both. So, yeah, we can do, um, but we're more in
0: the virtualized space. So our software sits, um, we can work with what we call off-the-shelf servers. So we tend to work with HP, Dell, those types of traditional computing platforms Mm -hmm. rather than proprietary equipment. Uh, And then our smarts are sitting over the top of it and our radios. We can also work with someone else's radio and our software or, mix it all up vice versa so we're quite flexible in that aspect it's generally a bit of a closed door industry because people like to protect it for their business so being small means we can come in and disrupt a little bit more
1: yep now since the door's sort of you know largely been closed to Huawei how has that you know changed the change the picture in this part of the world
0: Oh, it's changed a lot. So obviously, um, you know, Spark opened up to look at new vendors, which is where we came from. Two degrees as well, um, had two as well. So as well as that transition of technology, it transitioned the vendors, I think, in that aspect. So it's created a lot of opportunity for other vendors. Mm. Um, Huawei is very good, well-priced, so it's set the bar high for everybody.
1: Yeah, probably a a shock to those that that had invested in that direction, right? So caused quite a bit of disruption and so where to from here where does your gear sort of sit now in terms of you know within the spark network are you able to talk about what what cities it's in and so on
0: oh just mainly we're just christchurch and auckland at the moment so yeah. that's our main projects for the next wee while we'll start okay. to work on some more frequency bands with spark um, as they move those to 5g refarm etc uh, we're very interested in Millimetre Wave. Millimetre Wave's a strong technology for Samsung and we've done in the US, so we're very interested in that as well um, and looking how we can bring that to New Zealand. That depends on some spectrum. Yeah. So yeah. Um, we'll look to Millimetre Wave and then we're looking at some of those use cases, how we can help. Private networks is becoming quite big internationally. Yeah, yeah. Things like the Smart Factory, etc., which we don't have so much here, but um, I'm sure there'll be New Zealand use cases there. Private networks will be useful for too.
1: And where do you see the value of of millimeter wave? As you say, it needs a different block of spectrum, and yeah, we haven't seen that broadly finalised here. I guess yeah, we, we have certain scenarios where that could be useful. Are there any that? Um, yeah,
0: there's a, there's a few different interesting ones. Traditionally, it's seen as you know high bandwidth,
1: low coverage,
0: so deep in the city, in park, yeah, places like stadiums, etc. Scenario. But now you're seeing more and more rural trials. There's been a few conducted here and in Australia, up to sort of 10 kilometres of coverage. So that will be more interesting from a rural perspective. Uh, We've done an interesting study in the subway in Seoul. So if you think of like 10,000 people all jumping off a subway train at the same time, it's pretty difficult for them to connect. So they've been using millimetre wave as the backhaul for Wi Fi through the subway trains. So there's lots of different use cases. It's a bit easier to deploy. Um, it doesn't need as much, many people climbing a tower, mm. smaller and lightweight. So
1: it probably will be
0: a complementary technology to the, the current technology we're deploying.
1: Yep. Now we haven't seen much fixed wireless access and sort of 5G at this point in time. It does seem as though, you know, the um, your access point is still quite pricey for those at the moment. Is that kind of, do you think that's the the main reason that, stops 5G being used for fixed wireless as just sort of the standard standard option today?
0: I, well, coverage is a big thing too, so obviously it's not available to a lot of homes, so you can't really market something until it's big enough to tell everybody about it.
1: True, um, yep.
0: But also, you know, I know the operators are very cautious on how they approach those technologies because they don't want someone um, getting a modem delivered to their house and going, it doesn't work, there's yeah, no coverage yeah, in my house, so yeah. they keep their coverage maps quite
1: tight until yep. they're sure you actually
0: do have it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so those are probably the limiting factors at the
1: moment. All right. So, yeah, we just need to uh, wait for that to, uh, that to keep expanding, which, of course, does, does take a bit of time.
0: Yeah, and it's going a lot quicker now too. So yeah. we're seeing a lot of sites come on each week. Um, so once everyone's sort of in the rhythm, you know, it starts to become a lot faster. So
1: you're at how many sites in Auckland and what would you sort of expect to get to?
0: Oh, that sparks! That sparks <laughs> world that we yeah, can't yeah. talk about. But okay. we think we've got about a million people covered already, and yeah, okay. around about twenty, twenty odd suburbs are covered already. Yeah, uh, mainly from the Harbour Bridge south, and mm-hmm. then we're coming over the Harbour Bridge going north. Okay, next year.
1: Excellent. Oh, it's been great. Great to uh, catch up, Todd, and you know, thanks for your insights and uh, contributing to the NZ Tech podcast today. Thank you for having me. Appreciate uh, my, it. my pleasure my pleasure well thanks everyone for uh, for listening in and yeah, uh, yep we'll be back again next week of course a, a thank you to our show partners uh vodafone two degrees spark hp gorilla technology and deal so uh you know if you are listening to the live stream it's well worth getting hold of the audio show which you can subscribe to through any podcast app whether it's an apple podcast spotify Google Podcasts. If you're listening to the audio show and you haven't caught the video, um, you might quite like to get the, the earliest access uh, to NZ Tech Podcast. And the best way to do that at the moment is probably by following me on LinkedIn, but you can also find us across Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. So look out for NZ Tech Podcast on, uh, on each of those channels. Uh, that's it from us. We'll catch you again next week. Cheers.